Uh, we are pleased today to have a very special guest, Dr. Colin Green. Colin is a representative for Dallas Theological Seminary, um, and uh, he has pastored for over 30 years. Uh, he has founded uh, three different churches, and he and his wife, Colleen, have been dear friends of ours since our days at Western Bible College in Colorado. Uh, they have four children, two grandchildren, um, and he runs Grace for Life, a ministry that counsels and he uh, speaks uh, around as well. And uh, we are just so pleased to have him. They, we have dear friends in our lives, and then there's those that you're just, you know, especially close to. Even though we've kind of have lost contact through the years just through busy life, you know, all it takes is just that conversation to just pick right back up from years ago. And uh, there's a, I think there's a common appreciation for the authority of the Word of God, and uh, there is a genuineness of Colin and Colleen that we just so appreciate. So would you give him a warm CCC welcome? Okay. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It is just a joy to be with you today and uh, catching up with Kevin and Janet. He wasn't kidding. It's, it's been years and years. Them raising their four, us raising our four. We were in Canada. They were down here. And uh, we just lost touch, you know, the way busyness can do. And yet, just like Kevin said, it only takes a couple of visits and you realize, man, nothing's really changed Kevin is not aging well, but other than that, there's nothing <laughs> has really changed at all, you know. We, uh, we do love them. We love Kevin and Janet. What a joy for me to see them in their context, right? My mother used to say, I just need to come for one visit to see where you live, who your friends are, where you're going to church, and that's good. Then I, then I can calm down, right? To see you folks and this church in this community Kevin and Janet doing what they do uh, to bless you, and, and uh, it's just a joy, you know. And may I say this, in praise of mid-sized churches, can I say this? God bless you, and God bless this church. You know, the position of head of the church is taken. Jesus does that. The position of good shepherd is taken. Jesus does that. But have an under-shepherd who is faithful and committed to a community and a church and for decades, very rare, very rare, yeah, very rare and very special. And I'm so proud of, of Kevin, just so proud of him. Um, we did meet each other at Western Bible College, and uh, Kevin was the president of the Bible College, uh, well, no, no, he thought he was. He thought he was president of the Bible College when we were there. And uh, he's, he's just like a gifted leader, right? Anyway, um, can I just ask a question? I, I've been asking this question for years. I, I'm guessing that you have as well. All right? How did Janet get Kevin? I mean, talk about jackpot. When a woman really wants something and trusts God, you know. Um, do you pray for Janet enough? I bet you don't. I bet you don't. Anyway, I, I love Kevin, and I want to thank the elders. This is the first time I've ever candidated in a church with the lead pastor sitting right there. And um, 
We're just going to let the Lord lead on that. Look at some of the, hey, some of these guys are offended that I just said that. I already know I'm not voting for you. I'm kidding. Uh, let me pray. Father God, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people, this flock. Thank you, Father, for this shepherd who loves these people. Lord, as I watched their Easter service just a few weeks ago, I was moved, as Kevin said, I love you. And then he said, I've got the best job in the whole world. What a rich moment. What a rare moment that was and is. Bless these people and, and, and this flock that you have gathered, Lord. Minister to us this morning, Lord, by your word. Pierce us with your truth and by your spirit, Lord. Don't just fill us, but transform us, Lord. We need to change, Lord. I pray that you would minister here well beyond what my words can do or who I am can do. Father, we're asking for you to do the things that only you can. Change us, Lord. Inspire us, Lord. We want to be salt and light, Lord. We want to be change makers in this world. And if there's ever been a time where we have had to hold the line on truth and be people of influence and not back down, it's now. Let it start with me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I am somebody who loves my slides and I interact with my slides and and some people have never been able to, like, does this guy even own a Bible? So I just want you to know, I use slides, but I have a Bible. And my slides came from this Bible. Okay, I promise. I promise. So, oh, how did that get in there? Oh my gosh, that is a, that's just divine providence right there. I had no idea. So a, a godly man in my life said, Colin, Grandchildren open a door in your heart that you didn't know was there. And, and this is Bethany and Ross, four and two. They absolutely have changed my life. I love them so much. All those years that my four kids said, Dad, stop talking about us in your sermons. Now I'm like, no problem. <laughs> you just keep having babies. I don't even care what's going on, you know. Anyway, this is, this is, uh, this is Ross and, and Bethany. I just love them. You know, I was reading your website before I came on this trip, and I love your values. And I was, I was asking God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to teach or preach? Or where are we going with this, Lord? Um, uh, and, and so your values, in case you haven't read them in a while, I love this. Do the hard thing, loosen your grip, overcome distractions, know your neighbor. And then the bottom one is get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. It says here, we pray often, take bold steps of faith and trust God to do only what he can. It is a great value in a church. And if you look at this right, the bottom one actually informs the others. Because if you get out of the boat and you are praying often and you are actually taking bold steps of faith and you are trusting God to do what only he can, then that is going to influence what it means for you to do the hard thing. 
or to be somebody that loosens your grip, overcomes distractions, and knows your neighbor. Lord, I know how to loan my lawnmower to my neighbor, but I don't know how to tell him about you. Help me get out of the boat. Help me actually pray boldly and step boldly in faith, and you do the rest, Lord. The results are yours. I love this, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. One of the things that is true about us is that fear comes naturally to us. I mean, we are born good at it, as it should be. God said, outside of this garden, you are going to find life difficult, and it is. Fear comes naturally to us. Faith is something given to us by God, and then we have to discipline and hone and actually depend on or operate by over time, which is part of God's maturity program for you and me, is to learn to be people who, instead of living in fear, learn to walk by faith. That's kind of Christianese. It can be gobbledygook, walking by faith. We forget that it is the fuel in the tank of the Christian life. It is absolutely the fuel in the tank of the Christian life is to be somebody who walks by faith. If you don't, you will walk in the flesh for sure. If you don't, that faith will be replaced by fear because you are entertaining doubt instead of certainty. I don't think there's a time in my life that I haven't needed a spiritual overhaul. Every day. When people say, walk by faith, are you walking in the Lord, etc., etc.? A lot of us think, well, I have my devotions, if that's what you mean. Or I have my devotions, and then I, I had to get to work early, and, that, and then we start to feel guilty and ashamed. Guilt and shame is a lousy motivator for righteousness. Don't ever do it. God's grace covered you for all the days that you don't have your devotions. It's not about the devotions. It's not about 15 minutes in the morning or a half hour at noon. It's about walking with the Lord all day, every minute, dependent on his spirit to change us and transform us so that his fruit comes out of our lives by his power. We are good at living in fear. We're not so good at walking by faith. There's a story about a little boy who was just hanging around the kitchen after supper, and his mom says, listen, Johnny, uh, the broom's outside in the breezeway, and i got to sweep this floor. Could you go out and just grab that broom and bring it in for mom? And, and he says, well, mom, the, the porch lights are out. It's dark out there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go out there. Well, why not? Well, because I'm afraid. It's dark. She said, listen. Listen, Johnny, you need to understand, Jesus is there. Jesus is everywhere. You're not going out into the porch that's dark alone. Jesus is already out there, and he loves you. Now, you just go ahead and open that door, step out into the dark, and find that broom and bring it to mom. So little boy opens the door very carefully. He steps out, and he looks, and he goes, Jesus, bring me that broom, would you? <laughs> I think that's what we're like. God is saying, 
I want you to do this and do it by faith. And we're going to resort to our, our better nature or our, our natural wisdom. I know a guy. I think I know how to do that. I don't need to this. I don't need to that. I can. That's exactly where we steer wrong right away is when we talk back to, to God and say, actually, I can do this without faith. I can do this without you. Watch me. <laughs> Too many times the Lord is going, well, okay, we can go through this again if you want. I'll watch. Or sometimes he says to me, Colin, I can't watch. <laughs> I can't watch. Imagine life as an ocean. And you're standing on the beach looking at this ominous body of water. And God has said, I want you to go out onto the ocean in this canoe I've supplied for you. There's a paddle in there. Now, if you're like me, I would look at that body of water, and I would look at that canoe, and I would say, yeah, but Lord, what if a storm blows up? What if it gets dark before I can paddle all the way back? What if the tide starts to push me out as I'm trying to get? What if, what if, I got like nine what ifs. For God almost all the time. We love to control outcomes. We like to know where the brakes are, where the gas pedal is, where the steering wheel is. I have never been on a roller coaster in my life. And it's, it's not only that I'm chicken. It is that I'm chicken. But it's not only that. Uh, I've had youth groups when I was a young guy offer me $300. They raised $300 right in front of me at Six Flags saying, Pastor Colin, 300 bucks, man, just go with us. And I wouldn't go. But I've said for years, if I could get the car that has the steering wheel and the brake and the speed, then I'd go. It wouldn't be fun for anybody else because it would just be tick, 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 tick. You know, nobody would scream, raise your hands in the air because nobody's hair would be blowing or anything. I'd go so slow. But imagine if life was that body of water and you were sitting on that beach and God was saying, I want you to trust me, and I want you to go out on that body of water. I wonder what you would say when that, that voice comes into your head, or you think it might be God, or somebody walking behind you and says, go ahead, it's safe. Meaning the canoe doesn't leak. That's all they mean. The canoe doesn't leak. But truth is, most of us would have to admit that we are afraid, and this is what we're afraid of, is that a storm would blow up, that we wouldn't get back before night, and we'd be caught out on the water somewhere, worried about capsizing and getting eaten by something that's bigger than us. If you think about your life right now, are there parts of it that are dark and stormy and unsafe? Just think about what we've been through with COVID for the last two years. Were there times when it was dark and stormy and unsafe for you? Man, it was for me. I watched churches split. I watched pastors burn out. I watched families divide. We're vaccinated. We're not. We're wearing masks. You're not. You can't come over because you're not this. Families all around us in Canada anyway. And I, I think you guys have been through the same stuff here. Parts of my life that I used to feel were fairly secure became very dark and stormy and unsure, and it affected me deeply. But beyond that, it's the usual stuff. Finances, relationships, health, government, 
friendships, all the way down to soccer moms, and Sally forgot the oranges again. All of it is life. And we can have parts of our life that are very difficult when all you can see is the dark and all that you can sense is that you're sinking. But God's invitation, because he knows us and he knows how insecure we can feel, God's invitation is for us to remember that Jesus not only brought us salvation, he meant to bring also that life that is more secure, that life that has light and stability to it, right? Jesus means to bring that into our experience so that we live differently because of it. And, and this is one of the mistakes we make in uh, our, our Christianity is, well, I'm saved, so that's it. I don't have to actually live it out or live differently or let God live through me. I'm a Christian now. I go to church pretty often, and I have a Bible somewhere, and I think I'm set. That's not true. He means to bring light and stability into your life so that you do not need to live in fear, but you can live walking by faith. That's what he wants for you and me, and it makes a world of difference. And Paul knew that it did. He said, for we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And this is what I want to talk about with you this morning. So the title of my message is, We Are Learning to Walk by Faith. And the passages that I'm taking to you this morning are about Jesus teaching his disciples to walk by faith. And it was essential that they learn it. It was essential that they do it. And it was essential that he knew he could count on them to walk by faith. Because without saying it, he was saying, if you think this is hard, wait till you see what's coming when you go from being disciples to apostles. And I'm gone, and you're trusting in the Spirit, and the whole world is against you, but the church is exploding. He needed them to learn to walk by faith, and he's still counting on you and me to learn to walk by faith. We have to get this. To the degree that we do not walk by faith, we will walk in the flesh. Uh, Philippians 4.8, the, the young lady just referred to. I mean, that is it. Here's how you should be. Here's who you should be. Here's how it should look. And, and it gives you that permission to say, well, Lord, if that's the goal, there's no way for me to get this ball over that line without you helping me. And he's going, yes, now we're talking. I can work with that. Some humility that says, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I absolutely cannot do this without you. And the Lord every time will say, I can work with that. What he can't work with is pride. He cannot work with religion. He cannot work with people who are saying, I want you to be proud of me, so watch this. I can do this without you. Watch this. And every time the Lord's just, oh, okay. So this is where we're going. The context of this is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, you remember the story. Jesus is preaching. A crowd gathers, and they've been there all day, and they're, they're hot, and they're hungry, and Jesus says, we need to do something about this, this uh, problem we're facing right here. The disciples say, yeah, better send them home. Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact they're hungry. Look at them. Well, there's no way we've got the money for that. There's no way we can, I couldn't even get to town and back with the you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken's closed. <laughs> Jesus says, well, 
we have a problem, we're going to solve it. So they start scrounging, and one disciple comes back with some fish and bread. And he goes, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but that's not enough. And Jesus said, this is exactly enough because of who I want to introduce you to and what I want you to see me do. So he multiplies the bread and fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. Now, keep in mind in Bible times, when they list a group of people by, and, and count them, they're counting the men, because the names of men represent the genealogies and the generations. And so when they say there's 5,000 men, modestly, there's probably 10,000 people with women and children. So Jesus feeds 10,000 people, let's say, with baskets left over. And the disciples are like, wow, okay. But as we're going to learn today, they didn't really get it. But he needed them to get it. This is the context that we're looking at. And uh, right after that, right after that, Jesus walks on the water. John 6 16 to 21, but this story is represented in three different texts that we're going to look at today, right? Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. And I was pointing out in the first service, it's kind of interesting. Usually in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find some congruity between the events and the storytelling or which miracles they included or parables they included. And John was always on his own thing because John was trying to present Jesus' signs, the, the seven signs of Christ for John were more important for, the, for his readers to focus on than knowing all the history and the chronological events of Jesus' ministry the way, say, Luke would have. So to have this story told by Matthew, Mark, and then John, it tells you that John is saying, we need to pay attention to this. This is special. It stands out. And I want to show you this story from these three, and this, this is what we're going to follow here. First of all, you see the disciples on the stormy sea at night, Jesus on a stormy sea at night, and then there are four miracles. <coughs> Excuse me. First miracle is Jesus walking on the water. Second miracle is Peter walking on the water. Third miracle is Jesus calming the water. And then the fourth miracle is Jesus jetting the boat to, set, to, to land. The fourth miracle is often overlooked, but don't overlook it. It's special. It's special. So here's the context. The scene opens, Matthew 14, 22. You can see the word immediately there. It's not very colored very well for you this morning, but see the word immediately. It comes up a lot in these texts, and I want you to pay attention to it. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, about seven miles across, Okay. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone. Mark 6, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him onto Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Last one, John 6, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set across the lake to, uh, for Capernaum, and by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So a couple of things here. I want you to note, whoops, sorry, I wanted to go backwards there. There we go. 
Okay, I want you to note this. Jesus tells the disciples, you guys go get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. And they obediently do that. Then Jesus does two things. One, he dismisses the crowd. Now, the crowd have got full bellies. They've just witnessed a miracle. They just know. They know that something happened here. And they know Jesus was the one that did it. And they are already prepared to make him their physical king, the baker king, the king that would bring them bread every day. They would never starve again. Jesus knew he needed to dismiss the people and just say, look, nothing to see here. Glad you're fed. Thanks for spending the day. Home you go. Now, as it turns out, if you keep reading in John 6, some of them go all the way around the lake and meet him on the other side, and they're ready for him to do more bread stuff the next day. Right? And that's when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm not the bread maker. I don't want to feed you physically. I want to feed you spiritually. So he goes up to pray. Now, what is he praying for? I think he goes up to pray to thank God for a great day. You know, Father, thanks for coming through with that bread and fish thing. That was cool. Thank you. And then I think he's also praying, Lord, my disciples need an awe-inspiring, shocking event that transforms their faith. And I need you to help me with this. I need you to prepare their hearts. I need you to go before me. I'm about to whip a storm up on a lake. And I have an object lesson I'm taking out to my disciples. Lord, change their hearts. Lord, make them ready for it. He's praying. He's praying for them and praying for this moment. Because they needed to get this. All right, so... Uh, he, he sends them out in the boat, he dismisses the crowd, and he goes up to pray, and he's alone, and they are out on the water, all right? So the disciples are on the stormy sea at night, Matthew 14 again, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Now, guys, listen. Just for context again, half of these guys are professional fishermen. They know about boats in the water in a storm. And they know that you don't do that at night. You just don't. Okay, so there's the setup, right? So first miracle, Jesus walks on the water. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Let's set the tension between the word fear and faith all the way through this message, right? So they cried out. They were terrified. They cried out in fear. One thing I want you to note here is that Jesus went out to them. Now, in life, when you're in your boat and you're in the dark and you feel like you're sinking and this thing could capsize at any moment, we tend to think because Jesus isn't physically present, whispering in our ear with his hand on our shoulder, that he is distant and silent, removed, disinterested. But the truth is, Jesus comes to you. He didn't need to be invited. He came to them in the middle of the storm. Voluntarily. He could walk on the water because he's God. And he came because he loves them. 
Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They thought this was the Grim Reaper. They thought, this is it, boys. It's been a pleasure. Love you guys. You know, does anybody have a life vest? I'll arm wrestle you for it. I think some of them thought they were going to die right there. And they thought this was the Grim Reaper. This was the sign of death that you see just before you die. They were afraid. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage, I am God. Don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I. The word I here is found in the same usage when Moses is saying to God, Well, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And he says, Well, tell him that I am sent you. I am God. John 8, 28, 58, where Jesus is about to be stoned because he has had the unmitigated temerity to announce that he is God. They knew exactly what he was saying and they were ready to kill him for it because he said, I am. Same usage here. It is I am. I am God. I am here. Don't be afraid. I know you're out here in the dark, in a storm, thinking you could capsize, thinking that you're shark bait, But I'm telling you, you don't need to be afraid because I am God and I am here. I made the water, I made the wind, I made the wood that made the boat that you're sitting in. I'm God, I'm here, you can relax, I am in charge. Do you think it mattered? (laughs) We're not good at hearing that message. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then in John, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Folks, whether you hear that audibly or not ever in your whole life is not the issue here. I have known Jesus now for 44 years. I have never heard him speak to me. Not even a whisper, not even a shiver. But by grace through faith, his reaching to me, my accepting his reach, I believe him. And when he says, Colin, trust me, Do not be afraid. Replace the doubt and fear with certainty of faith, and I'll meet you there every time. Every time. And that's what God wants for us as his followers. That's what he wants for us as his followers. But don't miss this. He says, take courage instead of being terrified and fearful and all that stuff. Take courage. Because I am God, and you don't need to be afraid. That's a choice. That is a choice to be afraid. He wants to teach them, and he wants to teach us. The alternative is to walk by faith, not live in fear. He wants that for us. 
Second miracle, Peter walks on the water. They just love, I love this story, and I love Peter. I think he takes a lot of shots and gets a lot of guff, but I think he's an amazing disciple and ends up being an amazing apostle. And it's because, you know why? It's because he's out there. I have told people for years, I've told my congregations, I've told my kids, I've told people in my counseling ministry, I've said to them, listen, God loves the sound of cracking branches. What? Crawl out on that faith branch until you can hear it cracking. Because the Lord is looking for an opportunity to show you that he can catch you, and he wants to, and he will. But as long as you're just hanging on to the tree trunk and saying, God, this is all the faith of God, you know, he's like, get up there, climb out there, let's hear some cracking wood, and then you're going to feel my presence, and I will issue my assurance, and you will be full of my spirit, reminded of my word, and you will be strong instead of weak, and you will be a person with faith instead of fear, hope instead of despair. He wants this for us. He wants this for us. All right, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you. Now, I love Peter because, I mean, he's in a boat, and they're rocking, and they're scared, and they think they saw a ghost. And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter goes, Lord, if it is you, because sometimes Larry goes for an evening walk on the water, and I don't know, I can't tell you, come closer so I can see if it's you. I love Peter, man, that is exactly what I would do. And if they were on dry land, Peter would always already be saying, should we, we should maybe put up a tent just to remember this. Transfiguration, you with me? Okay. All right. And so he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. But he's, it's not a doubt question. It's not a question of unbelief. It's not like, if it is you, the way I was just making fun. He is saying, because it is you, if it's really you, and you really are who I think you are, and you're capable of what I think you are, tell me to just get out of this boat and walk on this water. You're doing a miracle. Can you make me part of a miracle? Jesus is like, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for answering my prayers. This is what I'm looking for. Love it. So, oh, sorry. That's totally my fault. Don't everybody turn around and look at the sound, guys. That was my fault. Although, Jacob, you sort of look like you could use a tune-up. They kind of laughed a little hard at that. (laughs) All right. Jesus says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat in a storm at night with 11 other men crying and thinking that they're dying. Do you know what it takes to get out of a boat? Have you ever seen me try to measure the temperature of the water in the pool before I jump right in on, you know? He gets out of the boat, gets down out of the boat into the water. I love the faith here. And he walked on the water successfully. And he came toward Jesus. How many steps? 
you know, when you see a picture, you, he's like two baby steps and Jesus is right there. What if it was like 50 yards? It says in another part of the text that Jesus was about to walk right by them. He was far enough away that if they didn't recognize him, he was probably going to have to circle back. Can you see Jesus going, oh, okay. <laughs> circle back until you guys notice me. Peter walks on the water, maybe not two steps, maybe not six steps. What if, what if he was out there 15 steps? That's impressive, right? Enough that it, nobody could watch it and say, this is an accident that's shallow. It's pretty sandy right there. He was walking on water. Enough for everyone to go, this is a miracle. We're witnessing a miracle here, which is exactly what Jesus wanted. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That part he sir got right. But he was walking on the water, part of a miracle of God, depending on the power of God, and then he got distracted with the things of the world, the material things like water and sinking and dying. And naturally, he was afraid. I would be. I would be. Uh, I hear people make, make fun of Adam for taking that apple, taking that bite of that fruit, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, a real man would have, you know, passed that up. And I'm like, man, I would have baked a pie with it. <laughs> okay, I'd be like, do you, do you have a dozen of these? Could I? Yeah. He was afraid and he began to sink. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? You had it, Peter. What made you stand up in the boat and look at me and go, if it really is you, that was faith. Can I come out onto the water and walk towards you? That was faith. And I got out of the boat and I started walking, I don't know, six, 12, 18 steps. And then something happened. The faith was replaced with fear. And he began to sink. And folks, you've heard this preached since you were kids. Keep your eyes on Jesus or you'll sink. And it, it's true. Have you all tried life not watching Jesus and following his lead as he has said, come, come this way. Come toward me. No, 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 don't look at that. Come, no, don't touch that. Come, come. And then we try it with blinders on, going, I, I got this. I think I get it in a religious sense. So I don't do that, and I do that, and then I'll be fine. <laughs> Are you kidding? It's a car wreck every time. And I've interviewed Kevin. He's got a dozen stories about, okay. <laughs> I mean, I've never strayed, but I've read about guys who do. <laughs> So Jesus reached out his hand, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And he's not just shaming him and saying, why did you doubt, man? You weakling, you spiritual nothing. He's like, Peter, I need you to think this through. I've got a lesson I'm in the middle of teaching you, and I need you to think this through. Why did you doubt? And what difference did it make when you went from faith to fear, from certainty to doubt? What difference did it make? He's asking He's asking, are you living in fear, Peter, or are you walking by faith right now? And all the other guys are listening. They're learning. 
They're watching the whole thing. Miracle three, Jesus calms the water, right? Uh, Matthew 14 again. And when they climbed into the boat, this is Peter and Jesus, the wind died down. Think about the problems in your life. Think about the difference that it makes to, to not just have a Savior who will come to where you are. I mean, it's nice to know the presence of God. It's nice to know that he cares enough to be present, and he's sort of hovering and watching my life, and I thank you for being there, Lord. This is a rough spot. And he goes, mm-hmm, I'm, yeah, good luck. No, our Savior comes to where we are, and then he climbs into it with us. Now that makes a world of difference. Abraham was called the friend of God. I think that the, the mark of a friendship with God is that you're somebody who not only expects him to be there, but he expects you to walk in it with you. And that includes walking in the valley. It includes walking in in the storm, at night, where peril is apparent, and he steps into it with you. He gets into the boat, and everything went calm. Now, I have prayed some amazing prayers in my day for people I loved who were dying, and they didn't get better. I have prayed for people who are facing incredible situations, and I didn't see God rescue. But my prayers over time became, Lord, come near and hold these people. Hold me. If I gave the microphone right now, I know a dozen or two dozen or three dozen of you would say, I, I have a story about when Jesus came near and climbed into it with me and everything became calm, even though the cancer didn't go away, even though I did lose my job, even though my spouse did leave me. But I was not alone. Of that, I am sure. Amen? Sorry. So Jesus calms the water, Mark 6. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. <laughs> they were completely amazed. Look at, look at what Mark adds in here. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Now their hearts weren't hardened like Pharaoh's heart, or Romans 1, like mankind's heart, where God turns a hardened heart over. This isn't that. This is about belief and unbelief. And he's saying they were completely amazed that Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. They both got into the boat, and then Jesus went, shh. And they're sitting there. These guys were completely amazed. Why would the Holy Spirit guide Mark to include these words? It's because they are incredibly important. They had not understood about the loaves. And their hearts were hardened, as in their hearts were still in a state of unbelief. And Jesus was just as amazed that they were completely amazed 
because of what he had just done. You know, hucksters were plentiful in these days. They'd come through and they'd preach this and that and people would gather and oh, and they were fakes and phonies just like there are today. The only difference is most of them didn't have TV programs. Sorry. I'm sure that the people you watch are right on with the Lord. (laughs) Completely scriptural. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, For they did not understand about the loaves. Jesus is like, okay, man, guys, okay. Try and work beyond six-hour increments with me here. Try a 24-hour package. Think about what we did today. Think about what you thought was a problem that was not solvable. Think about how I solved it. Think about how there were 12 baskets left over and 10,000 people walked away fed. Think about that. When you see me coming, walking on the water and getting in the boat and calming the sea that I made, don't be amazed. I want to hear you start to say, oh, that's the kind of thing that Messiah, who is God, who is Savior, can do. That's what he wants. And they were missing it. They were missing it. But he, again, this, our Savior is a God of grace. He's not shaming them in the religious sense. He's priming them for the life lesson that they need for them to actually go forward and do what he has for them to do. He's like, you guys, you cannot miss this. You cannot miss this. And thank God, they ended up not missing it. But this ties back to why Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt after what you just saw me do with the 10,000 and then what you just saw me do, walk on the water and tell you to come and walk on the water and you're walking on the water? Why did you doubt, Peter? Answer the question, man. I doubted. I switched over from certainty to doubt, and I went from faith to fear. And the lesson is, I can't do that if I'm going to follow you and be used by you, right? Jesus is like, yeah, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Jesus jets the boat to land. This is actually my favorite miracle. The word immediately that's been running through these texts is the same word that's used here. And in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it means immediately. (laughs) Kevin is so much smarter than me, but even he agrees that it just means immediately. So listen, they get into the boat, everything goes calm, and the guys are going, who is this? And someone says, like Peter said later in Matthew 16, isn't it? He's the Son of God. He's the Christ, the Son of God. They're worshiping him, and all of a sudden, uh, there's sand under the boat. Uh. And I don't understand this stuff. Did, did, did Jesus teleport the boat the extra three and a half miles? His point was, the lesson has been learned I need to get to the other side of shore because breakfast is coming and we're not going to sit out here and, he, uh, I'm tired of you guys in your boat. I'm just going to get us there. And he, they're there. It's a great miracle. But here's, the, here's how the principle translates. Oftentimes we don't think God will work and we certainly don't think he will work quickly. The point is the scriptures describe our God as being sovereign 
and powerful, therefore, and can do anything he decides he will do. And there are times when he can take your prayer and your need and answer it that quickly. He doesn't need to wait for the doctor or the next x-ray or for something to shrink. He doesn't need for your ship to come in so that you can pay that guy back and then the bank and then you'll be okay. That's life outside the garden. We have to all do that stuff. I'm just saying there are times when God can just say, yeah, how about I just get this boat to shore? Yes, Lord, I'll take it. I'm tired of rowing. I'm tired of being afraid. Love that. So are you afraid when you look at the ocean? Yeah, think about your life right now. What things in your life are dark and stormy and unsafe when all you can see is the dark and all you can sense is that you are sinking? Remember that Jesus is God who knows your life and how insecure you feel on this planet. Humans, born of humans, stuck in this flesh, glued to this planet. He knows my son is a very philosophical type guy, and, and on some of his philosophical spiral days, he'd say, Dad, just a skin bag stuck on a dirt ball floating through space. <laughs> I'd say, son, let's try and be more positive than that. <laughs> oh, man. God knows our life and how insecure we feel. He means to bring light and stability to our lives. It's supposed to make a difference in our lives. Not just people who go to church, serve, give, show up at stuff. That's not transformative. That is the fruit of being transformed. God is at work in you right now to make you less like you and more like Jesus, no matter what it takes. He's very clear on his objective. And we don't understand a God who is comfortable with ambiguity. But I prayed once. But I prayed a hundred times. Fine. He's still working on his process with you to transform you by a renewing of your mind, which largely means by the Spirit to be dependent upon the Word of God for his fruit to flow through your life. That's what he wants for us. He loves you. This is his love. His love is not, here are the keys and here's the rescue card and just phone this number. Man, oftentimes he's just like, oh, Colin, this is going to hurt. And I know you're going to doubt that I'm anywhere in the vicinity, but I'm there and I'm walking with you. He wants to bring light and stability into our lives so that we don't need to live in fear. We can walk by faith instead. So in closing... The three words everyone waits for. So in closing. And then preachers manage to go another 20 minutes, don't they? I do. All right. Um, is there a storm in your life? Of course. Past storms, present storms. There will be storms in the future. No doubt about it. There is a Savior who is greater than the storm, and his name is Jesus. We need to remember that. Okay? His name isn't our pastor, or if only our church were bigger, or if our bills were paid, or, or, or. That is, that's all icing, folks. Life 
does not get solved outside of God himself intervening. We have our dear friends in Houston. I'll be seeing them next week. And their 10-year-old daughter got leukemia, battled it for five years, and lost the battle at 15 years old. Precious, precious Caroline. And as I walked through that with her daddy, David, and I'd, I'd just say, David, how, do you, how are you even standing watching all this? You know? He said, well, I'll tell you the one lesson I've learned, Colin. Any problem that can be solved with money is not a problem. It's when you can't solve the problem. And it forces you to look to God. Jesus will come to you because he is God. He will climb in with you because he is loving. So we should trust in him and hear his voice when he screams to us from the scriptures and sometimes by his spirit to say, it is I. Do not be afraid. Get out of the boat. You can do anything God wills for you to do. Walk by faith. Focus on Christ, not the circumstances. And as you go through the storm, Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego praying? O king, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, right? And they come through the furnace and don't even smell like smoke. Their clothes aren't even singed. I love that story. By the way, those great stories are not kids' stories, not one of them. We just tell them to kids. Jesus will get you to shore because he is able and faithful, and this is walking by faith, and this is my prayer for you as a church, that you will live up to your value, your stated value, one of your core values. We are going to get out of the boat, we are going to pray often, take bold steps of faith, and we are going to trust God to do only the stuff God can do. And that's how we want to be defined. It's who we want to be. For we walk by faith, not by sight, Paul said. Praise the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for these dear ones, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the beloved. Thank you for how you love them so much more than I can or, or, or know to as a, just a guest. Even more than Kevin can because he is human and limited but available and loving. It's you, God, that has to do the stuff in people's hearts. We are merely mouthpieces. We are servants. We are here for you to use. But Lord, each person in this room has heard you say something to them this morning that they know they need to take home and they need to live it out in the situation they're facing, the storm that they're in. Pray that you would go to them, that you would climb into the boat with them, that their sea would become calm and they would be amazed because you are God, not amazed that you did. We love you and trust you and give ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name for his glory alone, amen.